Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at LifePoint, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030, and we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Pastor Mark has been in a series about activating your faith, and today we're going to take a look at how to activate hope in your life. In Job chapter 8, a friend of Job is having a conversation with him about what is wrong in this world. Have you ever had a conversation like that with someone? And his friend Bildab says this in Job chapter 8, those who forget God have no hope. Let that, think, let that sink in a little bit. Those who forget God have no hope. I believe we are seeing the proof of that everywhere we look in our society today. The further we get from God, the less hope we have. Now, I happen to believe the opposite of that is true. The closer you and I get to God, the more hope you will have in your life. Truly, the most hopeful people in life are those who are the closest to God. Those people who are the most hopeless are those who are the furthest from God. Now, in our world, people put their hope in a lot of different things. Right now, a lot of people put their hope in politics, thinking if they could just get the right person in the office, boy, I tell you, this life would be grand. But I can tell you as a Christian, our hope doesn't lie with the right person in the office. Our hope lies in the person that we put on the cross. It really doesn't matter who is in the White House. They're not our savior. They may be a Republican, they may be a Democrat, they may be a Libertarian or an Independent, but they are not our savior. It is interesting to me that when people don't have a higher power in God, they oftentimes make government their higher power because that's where their hope lies in order to change the world. But actually, we know someone greater, do we not? That is greater than government, and that is God. And yet this conversation that is going on between Job and Bildad, those who forget God have no hope. You see, what happens in a world when society has forgotten God. Well, wealth is idolized. Truth is minimized. Life is trivialized. Abortion is legalized. TV is vulgarized. Advertising is sensualized. Our conscience becomes anesthetized. Education is secularized. Free markets are monopolized. Races are polarized. Sports is scandalized. Morals are liberalized. Breakup of families is rationalized. Manners are uncivilized. Christians are demonized. And God is marginalized. Folks, it's no wonder a lot of people don't have hope. In fact, in the last 15 to 20 years, as surveys have been done, hope is going in the wrong direction. And in the last two years, it's taken a real plummet downward. Why is that? Job's friend says, those who forget God have no hope. Today, what I want to do 
is I want to define what hope is. Because a lot of times, people think they know what hope is, but in reality, what they are thinking in regards to hope isn't hope at all. It's just wishing. Hope is something much deeper than wishing. Hope is theological. It is not psychological. And so this morning, I want to do three things. I want to define what hope is, and then I want to take a look at how you and I can activate our hope. And then thirdly, I want to share with you three truths, three things that I have learned as I have walked with my wife, Cheryl, through 16, 18 months of long-haul COVID. She's sitting in the front row today, and Cheryl, will you just rise? I want you to know she's, she's back. Just stand up. Thank you. So what is hope? Well, to understand what hope is, you and I have to understand what hope is not. And hope is not optimism. Like I said, hope is theological. Optimism is psychological. Optimism is telling yourself that everything is great even when it's not. Oftenism is reflected in Orphan Annie's song. The sun will come out tomorrow. Did you hear Pastor Mark sing just a few weeks ago? He is really good. I'm not, okay? That's the best I can do. But I'm sorry, some days the sun just doesn't come out. Optimism isn't always grounded in reality. Optimism oftentimes is nothing more than Pollyannism, which is just false hope. It's just telling yourself, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, trying to convince oneself that it's true when in one's heart we know that it's not. Folks, I could sit down right now with a glass of water in front of me and I could believe that it is McDonald's coffee because I need some wake-up juice. Now, let me pause there. I have to defend myself. If you go out for coffee with me, I'm going to take you to McDonald's because that's where the real coffee is at, okay? And I will be even generous with you. I, I'm a senior. I can get the small one for like 75 cents, okay? But I will buy you a medium or a large cup of coffee because it's real coffee, you go out with Pastor Mark, he'll take you to a foo-foo coffee place, okay? <laughs> they put the little foam on top with little pictures, you know? Anyway, I, I just wanted to bring that up, okay? I, I, I could believe as hard as I want to that that's going to turn into McDonald's coffee, but it isn't going to make it so. Now, don't misunderstand me. I am not against optimism, Optimism is a whole lot better than pessimism where you see everything in a negative light. I am not against optimism. I'm just saying that optimism alone will not change your life or this world. Optimism only works in those things that you and I can control. I can be as optimistic as I want to be about Cheryl getting better, okay, and her doing certain things. But that doesn't mean that Cheryl's gonna get better or do the things that I want her to. Because optimism can only control what you and I can control. Hope is different. 
Hope acknowledges reality. Guess what? Things are out of my control. And it's bad. It's really bad. It has never been worse. But I still believe and I have hope. Whereas optimism says it's not that. It's not as bad as you think. You come down with cancer and you say, well, it's really not that bad. Are you kidding me? You got cancer. Cancer can kill you. And so, uh, so optimism oftentimes doesn't grasp on to reality, whereas hope does. Now, the Bible talks about hope a lot, to be honest with you. And there are three kinds of hope that are mentioned in the Bible. Wishful hope, expectant hope, and certain hope. Wishful hope is mentioned the least in the Bible. Wishful hope is what most people mean when they say, I- I'm hoping that this happens, okay? Let me give you an example. Let's say you're in a car and you are late for a meeting. I don't know, you're five, ten miles away. And you say, I hope all the lights turn green. That is wishful hope. Wishful hope isn't going to change anything. Guess what? Those lights are going to turn green when those lights want to turn green. And there isn't anything that you can do about it. That's the kind of hope that, you, that, that God doesn't want you to build your life on. The second type of hope that's mentioned more, that, that is grounded somewhat in reality, is expectant hope. And in, and in expectant hope, there is some basis for it in reality. For instance, if I go out and I plant seeds in my garden, I'm going to say something like, I hope they sprout. And there's a reason for it, right? I did something. I planted some seed. It wasn't just wishful thinking. It's expectant. There are time. Do you see the difference between the two? A lot of times you'll hear people, oh, I I wish I could win the lottery. And you look at them and say, did you play? No, that's wishful hope, okay? Did you buy a ticket? Yeah, I did. Well, at least you did something, okay? That's expectant hope. When a woman is called expecting, there is a reason for it, isn't there? But sadly, we know that even with expectant hope, it doesn't always work out. Many of you have experienced the pain of a miscarriage. And so even though you have expectant hope, it doesn't always come through. And that is why the Bible speaks mostly about this type, this third type of hope. The hope that you really want to build your life on. And that is certain hope. It's not wishing, it's not feeling, It's not simply expecting. It is knowing for certain that you are going to have what you hope for. This is found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. That starts out by just saying, simply saying this, by by faith, through faith, we have the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. It's interesting in that verse that faith and hope go together. Why is that? 
They go together. Most people don't realize that. And that is because you have to have hope in order to have faith. Faith, hope is the foundation to faith. If you have nothing to hope for, you have nothing to believe in. If you don't have the hope of heaven in your heart, you don't have to believe in heaven. And so the Bible puts faith and hope together. A lot of people know about faith. And honestly, they know about love. But most people don't have the slightest idea what hope is. I want to give you just a few verses of what hope is. Take a look at these on the screen. In Luke 18.1, then Jesus taught the followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Prayer and hope go together. Hosea 2.15, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. This is about calming the mental storms that, have, that, that we have in our minds through having hope. Psalms 52, 9, for what you have done, I will always praise you in the presence of your faithful people. He's talking about community. And I will hope in your name, for your name is good. In biblical community, you see the full character of God, and it gives you hope. Psalms 130, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word, I put my hope. The word of God and hope go together. Pastor Mark has been in a series and he's been challenging us to activate our faith by being in biblical community, getting in a small group, about being in God's word, about praying. We need hope. Take a look at Hebrews 6, 19. The certain hope of being saved is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our soul. In certain hope, folks, there is no doubt there is no hesitation, there is no reservation, there is no uncertainty, there is no saying, but what if? You don't what if with certain hope. I don't say, what if I don't go to heaven? What if I don't make it to heaven? Folks, that thought never even enters my mind. Certain hope is sure, it is confident, it is guaranteed. And the Bible says this is the type of hope that he wants you and I to build our lives upon. Because this hope has three qualities in it, mentioned in this verse. First, it is strong. Certain hope is strong, meaning it's solid. It's sturdy, it's stable, it's unchanging. It says certain hope is trustworthy, meaning it's dependable, it's reliable, it's something that you can bet your life on. It's trustworthy. And then the writer of Hebrews says, it is an anchor to our soul. Why do you and I need hope as an anchor to our soul? Well, it is said that you can go weeks without food. And as I look at my body, I could go months without food, okay? And don't be laughing at me because as I look out there, I think there's a lot of us that could go months without food, okay? But that's what they say. 
You can go weeks without food. You can go days without water. You can go minutes without air. But you can't go one second without hope. Because without hope, you begin to die and you begin to decay. And we see a lot of decaying going on in our society today, don't we? And why is that? Because those who forget God have no hope. Hope is the anchor to your soul. It is the foundation that your faith is built upon. What is the purpose, though, of an anchor? Twofold. First, it keeps the ship from drifting. And secondly, it adds stability to that ship in a storm. And you and I need both of those in our lives. You need hope so that you don't drift. And you need hope when the storms of life hit you. And the stronger your hope, the less you drift and the more stable you are. And so the Bible says that you and I need hope as an anchor to our soul. Now, with an anchor, there comes a chain, doesn't it? That, that, that chain and that anchor only allow that shi ship to drift so far. But without an anchor, you can drift anywhere. You can drift in unsafe water to where that ship tips over. And you never know where the tipping point is in your life, do you? You never know where the tipping point is in a society or a culture. And it's easy to drift, isn't it? It's easy to drift away from God's word, away from biblical community, away from prayer. It's easy to drift from your goals and your dreams and your aspirations in life. And let's admit it, we all drift. But an anchor with a chain only allows us to drift so far. And God says you need to have hope as the anchor to your soul. The other purpose of an anchor is that it gives stability in a storm. When you let down an anchor, with a chain, obviously, okay, in a storm, it reduces the pitch of the ship and the roll of the ship, i.e., it adds stability. Now, depending on the size of your ship depends on the size of anchor you need. Little ships need little anchors. Big ships need big anchors. You see that on the screen? That is the largest anchor in the world. 75 tons. One of the links of the chain that holds that 75 ton anchor weighs 500 pounds. Here's my point. The bigger your ship, the bigger your anchor needs to be. Meaning if you just have little dreams and aspirations, if you just want a puny little life, then you don't need a big anchor. 
But if you want a big life, if you want an abundant life, if you want a full life, you need a big anchor. Because as you seek to live a more significant life, you are going to encounter all kinds of storms. Financial storms, moral storms, ethical storms, mental storms, emotional storms, physical storms, vocational storms. You will encounter a pandemic. You might even encounter long-haul COVID. And so you better have an anchor to your soul so that you don't drift and so that you add stability to your life. The question is this, though. Where do you get it? Where do you get this hope? Because most people, when the storms of life come in and the boat starts a rocking this way and that way, they look for the closest thing that they can put their hope in. A lot of people put their hope in their kids. And yet your kids can disappoint you, can't they? Some people put their hope in shopping or their job, or their 401k, or the stock market. Or in the 60s and 70s, drug, sex, and rock and roll, okay? Or entertainment, or eating. God says, no, you need real hope. You don't need wishful hope, you don't need expectant hope. You need certain hope. And so where do you get certain hope? Folks, you get real hope based on God's word and not my wishes. It is not based on what I sense. It, it's based on what God has said. It's not based on my emotions. It's based on what God has spoken. It's not based on my imagination. It is based on God's obligation to do what God has said that he would do in his word Certain hope is based on the fact that God honestly can't lie. People oftentimes ask me, Pastor George, is there anything that God can't do? I say, really, there's a lot that God can't do. Okay, really a lot. But one thing for sure that God can't do is he can't lie. And he can't deny himself or he wouldn't be God. God is self-limiting in his own character. And so God always speaks the truth. The devil speaks lies, but God always speaks the truth. And the truth of God is always found in the Bible, God's word. And in the Bible, there are over 7,000 promises that you and I can put our hope in that create certain hope within us. But when we put our hope in our emotions or our talents or our friends or even our family, or circumstances, or the, our 401ks, or our intelligence. It's wishful or expectant hope at best. It sure in the world isn't certain hope. I want to give you an example of what it means to have certain hope. In Hebrews chapter 6, 13 through 19, it reads this way. And God made a promise to Abraham, and at that time he was 75 years old. And Abraham waited patiently for it to happen. Now let's stop right there. When you claim a promise from God, you need to remember this, that God is not a vending machine where you just put in your two bucks and you pull out, pull the knob out, and you get what you want instantaneously. 
No, God's not a genie in the bottle where your three wishes are granted just like that. No, God takes you through a process, and oftentimes there is delay. Why? Because he wants you to grow in your faith. He wants you to make sure that your hope is grounded in the right place. And the process starts out with the dream. And you make the decision to go for it, but then comes delay and difficulties and maybe even the death of that vision, but then finally deliverance comes. It goes on. And so he received, that is Abraham received what God had promised. What was that? God had promised him 25 years earlier that he was going to have a kid and that he was going to become the father of many nations. And it happened. People always use the name of someone greater than themselves when they make an oath. Now, let me stop there and explain this. Have you noticed that people who don't believe in Jesus use Jesus' name more than you and I believe? You and I, more than you and I use Jesus' name. Why is that? Well, why do people use Jesus' name, especially when they get mad? Jesus Christ! That just makes me matter than H. Or, Jesus Christ, will you just get the H out of here? Or, Jesus Christ, when are things going to change? Why do people do that? Well, there's a couple reasons. One is that you never use a dead person's name. You never hear them say, oh, Muhammad. Or Buddha. Or Confucius. You always use a live person's name. But why do they use Jesus Christ's name when they get mad? It's because people always use a name of someone greater than themselves when they make an oath. And swearing is an oath. When someone talks to you in a reasonable way, are you threatened by that? Probably not. But when someone uses Jesus' name and is mad at you, you're more likely to be threatened. Why? Because there is power in Jesus' name. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Take a look. Let's go on. God wanted to prove that his promise was true to those who would get what he promised and he wanted them to understand that his purpose never changes. So God made an oath. Wherever there is a purpose, there's a promise. And wherever there is a promise, there is a purpose behind it. And he goes on. Now, there are two things that are unchangeable. Here's the first one. God cannot lie when he uh, makes a promise. And he cannot lie when he makes an oath. An oath is based on God's character. These things encourage us. They give us strength to hold on to the hope we have been given. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. It is sure and it is strong. This whole passage is talking about what I have been trying to communicate in these last few minutes. That certain hope isn't based on feelings. That certain hope is based on God's word. What he has said, the promises that are within it. It's not based on what I think. It's based on the teachings of God. Because God can't lie. And God cannot change his character. And this is the type of hope that God calls us to hold on to. This is the hope that is to be an anchor 
for our souls. And it is strong and it is sure. It is trustworthy and it is true. How do you and I activate it? Jesus gives us a key. In Luke 18.1, and we've read this. And Jesus taught his followers that they should always pray and never lose hope. Pray and never lose hope. You and I are doing either one of those things at any given time. We either are praying or we're losing hope. We're either panicking or we are praying. We are either worrying or we are worshiping through prayer. And Jesus says we should always pray and never lose hope. God never wants you ever to lose hope. How do you never lose hope? By praying. Praying over what? Praying over the word of God. Praying over the promises that are there. You see, the most common causes of hopelessness in our world are these. And Jesus is the answer to all of them. See if you don't relate. When you feel alone or abandoned, Jesus says, I am with you. When you feel powerless to change the situation, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. When you feel purposeless, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth. When you feel a major loss, Jesus says, I am the resurrection. When you don't feel that you have what's needed, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. When you feel guilt or regret for something wrong, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. When you feel deeply wounded, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. When you feel pulled in different directions, Jesus says, follow me. When you feel terror, Jesus says, don't be afraid, it is I. Take courage. When you feel defeated, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. What you and I need when we feel hopeless in life with whatever the circumstances are, we need Jesus. Jesus is the anchor to our soul. Because in every, because with every promise, they're yes in Christ Jesus. Now I want to close by saying this. Some of you may be in the pit of despair because of what is going on in your life. And you may be thinking that it will never change. I've been there. Cheryl and I have been there in these last 18 months. She drove to church today by herself for the first time, and I never thought it would happen. But I want to give you three things that I have learned on this journey with Cheryl, and I think we've all learned them. 
And that is this. Just because you think something doesn't mean that it's true. God must be punishing me right now because I, I, I must have done something wrong. Maybe I stole that gum when I was a kid and I didn't repent of that. That's just not true. God has abandoned me. That's not true. God must not love me. People don't care. That's just not true. The second thing that I've learned is just because you've thought of something doesn't mean that you should do it. I'm just going to stop praying. What good does that do? <laughs> I'm just going to stop going to church. Why? It doesn't, it's not doing any good. I should stop reading God's word. <laughs> just a bunch of baloney anyway. Just because you thought it doesn't mean that you should do it. And then the third thing is that feelings are never are neither right or wrong. They're not truth. They're not here forever. They come and they go. I want to close with a promise. Every night, my wife and I, we come together and we read scripture and we pray over the Bible. Right now, we're in the book of Psalms and we're in Psalms 119, the longest psalm. We break it down, those 11 verses, and we just pray over them, whatever is there. But we have prayed over this promise that I'm going to share with you. And maybe if you don't have a promise, you take this one. Isaiah 43, 1 through 3. It says this. When you go through deep waters and great trouble, I will be with you. That is a promise. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. That is a promise. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. That is a promise. The flames will not consume you. That is a promise. For I am the Lord, your God. When God gives a promise, he does not lie. He makes an oath based on his character. I will bring it to pass. And so I say this. Stop listening to your feelings and start praying and listening to the promises that are found in God's word. As you do that, you will be laying a foundation that is certain. Certain hope builds your faith and it activates it to be in biblical community, to be in God's word, to be praying and to be sharing your faith with other people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today. And we are grateful, God, for your goodness in our life. You and your sovereignty have placed us where we're at. And I think we would all say this morning that our boundaries have fallen in good places. And we are grateful for that, God, because we had no control. But you are in control. And when life is out of control you've told us that we can have hope we can have certain hope not just expectant hope not just wishful hope we can have certain hope as we look to you and your word and the promises that are there God I know in a crowd this size there are many 
who are struggling, who may be in despair, who may have been believing the lies or the thoughts that, that they've had of themselves or of the situation. And God, I want to ask you that you would take your word that is eternal, that has been shared today, your word, God, not my thoughts, your word, and that you would buoy them up, that you would bring stability into their life, that you would so to speak, put a chain around them, God, a good chain that would keep them close to you, God. Give them strength for the journey that they're on as they look to you expectantly, God, to answer prayer, to fulfill your promises. And if you don't have Jesus as the anchor of your soul, you can do that this morning. You can turn to Jesus right now, who is your creator, God, who knows you better than anything else, who knows the end from the beginning, and who wants you to know him. And you can start that relationship today by just simply saying, God, I admit that I've drifted. I haven't had, I haven't had you as the anchor of my soul. And right now, I want to put my hope and my faith in you. Come into my life. Thank you for forgiving me of all my mistakes. Thank you for leading me, how you're going to lead me from this point forward. God, thank you that you are my anchor. And if you made Jesus your anchor today, would you just let me know? Would you let someone out in the lobby know? They'd love to give you some literature that'll help you understand what you just started today in your life. So God, we give you this. We thank you that you are the hope of the world, that you are our hope. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.